Hello? Hello. All right. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to uh, Conversations on the Turtle. Uh, I'm Danielle. Yes. And I'm Cecilia. And um, yeah, today we're we're reading from Ashtanga Hridayam from uh, the first chapter, uh, Sutrasthana. Um, and we left off last time at Agni Beda. Um, yeah. But before we get into that, is there anything that we want to check in about? Or how are things going? They're going pretty well. So um, Beatrix, who everybody heard in the first, our first episode, um, is asleep right now. And she's also four months old now, which is pretty exciting. Um, that is exciting. You know, it feels like a pretty big milestone making it to four months. Now she's not quite such a like as needy of a little baby. You know, obviously she's still pretty um, dependent, but she's much different as a person than she was four months ago. So that feels kind of crazy. And she, she was born right before this uh, lockdown COVID experience started. Yeah, so I left right. my um, my job at the end. She was due at the beginning of February. And so when I was leaving, you know, listening to the radio on my drive, there was... I think right around then the U.S. was starting to take people's temperatures at a couple different airports, like maybe SFO and Kennedy. Um, but there was no real indication that it was going to be what it was. And then by the time she was born, things were looking a lot different. And in Virginia, the sort of um, the quarantine started when she was a week old. So oh, wow. it was it was pretty quick. And when I when I left civilization at the end of January, I had no idea it would be um so long before I was able to go back. <laughs> I thought it would it would take wow. some time. We were planning on having a quiet first month or two, but uh now, you know, I haven't really been in the world for 5 months, which is pretty wild if you think about it. <laughs> that is pretty wild. I feel like so wait, when was she born? When's her birthday? She was born February 26th. So oh, she wow. was okay. almost three weeks late. She was two days shy of being three weeks late. That's a long time. It's really... Yeah. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I um, My pregnancy was like so long ago. And uh, Ansel was like a week early but i went into labor during um like there were tornadoes in western mass which is really unusual um but the the crazy weather patterns were causing a lot of people to go into labor early because when i went to the hospital the um the hospital was full like they couldn't give me a room um which is kind of crazy <laughs> that's wild like that tornadoes caused so many people to go into labor but i feel like if that didn't happen i I don't know, like, I got the sense that he was, like, quite content in there because, like, coming out, like, would... It took a long time. Like, labor was, like, impossible. Um, impossibly long. Like, he just, like, didn't want to move. Um, and so, it for, to me, it felt, like, more symptomatic of the environment and, like, less of, like, what he was ready for, you know? Yeah. Uh, it felt, a, like, a very... Almost like a Vata-like delivery yeah i wonder know. what that is if it's like the pressure so all the movement in the external world makes i mean because the whole 
microcosm macrocosm thing right do you think that's what it was i wonder it's interesting too because he was born around like in june and like you know you're you're heading into like pizza season during that time um and i mean ansel is extremely high pitta i recently calculated his um calculated his doshas from his birth chart i mean like i knew he was a pitta anyways but yeah in calculating his doshas i was like oh wow no wonder why you are so short-tempered and so so he's very short-tempered he's really um when he's like interested in something he like locks down on it and nothing else exists you know um and he's highly critical uh, he's got a lot of Pitta-like qualities. But it's interesting because Beatrix was born around, like, in Kapha season, really. Yeah. And you were so late, you know? Yeah. Like, that's like she just, like, took her time coming into the world and also, like, was just, like, you know, slow and content. And it's really... That's really interesting to think about how the season Yeah, she impact. hung on. She, like, she really hung on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like they were pushing for you to get induced right yeah i mean there was i so i had planned on having a home birth and in virginia um most hospitals will induce if you're two weeks late but the midwives get until three weeks before they're kind of it's almost illegal or it is illegal i guess for them to kind of home deliver you so i had a few more days before I was going to be sent to the hospital with my tail between my legs. I ended up there anyway, which is fine. Um, but I was, I started to get really nervous towards the end, mostly because I just didn't, I wanted to have some sort of um, non-induced labor experience. Um, and I, it kind of felt like it was getting so close and so close and so close. I wasn't worried about her cause she was still healthy and I still felt fine. Um, but we exist in this system that doesn't really care about that (laughs) so she was she was perfectly content in there until you know two weeks like four days (laughs) yeah that's so yeah that's really interesting um i also wanted to have some kind of a home birth but um i wasn't really in the right you know that was nine years ago now um and I wasn't in the place to really do the research and the preparation for it. And, um, but I did know I wanted to have a natural birth and I did not have a natural birth at all. Uh, <laughs> I ended up having a cesarean <laughs> uh, after a, a ridiculously long labor and um, almost like he got stuck coming out. So I like to say that I, I did both. Like I did a delivery and a cesarean <laughs> because he was like, he was like almost out. Out, and then they were like, oh, we got to cut you open. So, oh, no. um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm like, you know, he, we, we had a little bit of both. Um, yeah, very interesting. Um, it's, it's really the first lesson they teach us, though, the kids, right? I mean, we talked about this a little bit because we listened to a sadhana um, lecture about what does that look like when you have kids and um, the letting go portion. They at least are very good at at forcing you to let go of your own expectations and desires from a very early 
maybe even maybe yep. even through pregnancy or just because of their existence right but certainly in the yep. birth process like i would like this i'd like it to be lightly snowing in early february while i you know give birth and water <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah we said children are enforced satan. yeah exactly like, like you have to like like they force you to like reflect on yourself constantly and the way that you're doing things and to like let go of expectations and um yeah so while you have kids like as a householder you're totally allowed to um adjust the way that your practice looks because you're always in practice <laughs> yes <laughs> all day practice all day every day <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah, so that's how it's going. She's she's four months old. That's pretty exciting. And she weighs over 15 pounds. That feels like a little bit of an accomplishment, too, because um, we're doing the breastfeeding thing. So I am totally marveled that um, that, that works and it sustains another human being. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream last night that I had a baby and that I was breastfeeding it. Um, and it was a boy. And it, it was really strange because... Um, on that note, I had a really, I had a hard time breastfeeding because um, I was, you know, Ansel was delivered via cesarean and it was something I struggled so hard with. On the subject of letting go, I like would not let go of that. <laughs> and I, I did both um, breastfeeding and, um, and formula because he wasn't, I wasn't producing enough milk and I ordered illegal drugs from Europe to um, produce more breast milk. Um, at the recommendation of a homeopathic doctor, um, which did help. Um, I don't remember what they're called, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I was desperate. I, I basically stunk like fenugreek. Oh I was gosh. walking, which smells like maple yeah, syrup. Yeah, it does. When you yeah, sweat. maple um, syrup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like a, a pool of maple syrup, uh, all the time for like basically three years i mean we nursed for three years <laughs> uh, i did a long term and um yeah but in my dream last night i was like i ended up like having a baby in the similar way like in like they like knocked me out and i woke up and i was like where's the baby and then like i called sam and he was like oh i have the baby like don't worry and he brought the baby to me and i was like what have you been feeding it and he was like oh i've been feeding it formula and i felt like so betrayed and then i started Aww. nursing him and he was totally fine you know and i don't know they say that when you have these kind of dreams that usually like they usually signify like a project that you're working on or something. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, or like giving birth to a project or giving birth to like a new way of a new perspective or something. I, 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 so I've been thinking about this in the way that like being in lockdown, well, you know, we're like less in lock, like my husband's at work right now. So like, we're at like, we're coming out a little bit, but like, I'm not working. I'm home with my son most of the time. The farmer's market has a line that goes like three blocks down the street like, like it's not like normal still um but like but like in in my dream everything was fine even though like i didn't have control over the beginning part and like i felt like i was like betrayed but like in actuality sometimes things just have to happen and you have to accept them and then like you're still okay as long as you can like keep your mind in the right place is what I took from that and um and I'm kind of like thinking of that as a metaphor for like where we are right now and how I'm handling this you know 
<laughs> yeah, and how many things have um, quote unquote imperfect starts or imperfect parts, but still end up how they're supposed to end up anyway? Right? We get. I can get so like so attached to the way I want something to happen um, instead of just letting it go and noticing how it does happen and it's usually fine. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I tend to I tend to have a different approach. I tend to be like, "Oh, it's going to be fine no matter what." But then I almost have like a like a vata-like response where like I get anxious or something once like I realize that it's not that I don't have control, but like in the, like it's all, actually maybe it's like a cuffic response. Like it's like, I don't want it to like ruin the other things I have going on. Oh. <laughs> so it's like those, <laughs> those are the things I'm worried about, you know, <laughs> maybe, you know, so like that would be like the inability to like let go of what I already have yeah. versus like uh, attachment to something I don't have yet, um, which is outcome. It depends. Yeah, it does. I am your comment about the home births and things like that I think one thing that is really interesting and um, Austin my husband and I have talked a lot about before she was born but also after is that how midwifery now it almost it's just contained like the birth process whereas before I mean, you don't see a lot of things about women's health in the uh, Ayurvedic text because a lot of it was just held by the midwives of the time. But how midwifery then was, it was sort of like complete women's health and almost children's health as well. And now, I mean, it was, it was, I liked my midwife, but it was kind of disappointing. Like there, she didn't give us a lot of extra information that you would think a midwife would hold and pass on so that whole like being ready for a home birth you also need some support in that too which our Definitely. society like because we're so disconnected we just don't have that that much anymore or it seems like we don't i'm sure there are places that that exists but at least here um that was not the case yeah um that's interesting i um, you know, I, I guess I never put that together that like the midwives were the ones who kept the um, the information, you know, like the info about women's health at the time, which makes a lot of sense. Um, when Ansel was first born, I had like, I was really fortunate to. So, um, yeah, I was fortunate because I was I was so traumatized by the birth um, experience um, that I was really like, and I just did not want to deal with Western medicine at all at the time. And I was already skeptical of it anyways. I mean, like that being said, like I'm, I'm not totally skeptical of it. I just don't love, you know, like there's a lot of things about it. I have, I take issue with, um, but I do have a doctor and all that. And, um, and I see a dentist and I, I do the West and I get vaccinated and all that. But uh, at the time I was just really, like reluctant to be stuck in a system that felt that I felt like detached from or that felt like it wasn't taking care of me or like it, it didn't really like um, speak to the emotions that I was feeling at the time. Um, I just felt um, I, I felt betrayed by my experience. And so I found a homeopathic doctor. Um, I didn't believe in homeopathy 
at the time. I had never like looked into it. Um, but to me, I was like, oh, this is a safe place. She's not going to like force me to do anything I'm not ready to do. Mm. And she was very... It was the first time I had ever heard of somebody treating both a mother and an infant simultaneously. Like I had brought Ansel there because he was uh, he had low birth weight. And I just didn't want somebody to tell me that like formula was the only option and that um, I needed someone to tell me that I could do this, but I also could like work on producing more breast milk and she did a great job of that but like also the moment I walked in the door with him she was like oh I have to treat you too like you guys can't be treated separately um and that that like really opened my eyes to how um you're like literally one <laughs> like yeah. you I mean that's so that's so, that's such a beautiful response like that makes me feel so yeah. happy compared to because we don't I haven't been able to find a homeopathic doctor here um where I live and it I mean going into the western medical system because I'm sort of like you I don't totally it's great for certain things right it's wonderful that it existed that you could have a c-section and you and Ansel both survived right that's an amazing thing to be able to do vaccines are pretty amazing like we don't just die from measles and smallpox now um and I think that's probably put into relief for a lot of people now with the coronavirus um but like they're so bad at primary care they're so terrible at it (laughs) to to go in and treat an infant and not treat a mother or to like not look at the whole system of a human being is just so um i don't know it just is such a failing right it's it's like how can you look at a person or a mother and a baby and not say like yes they are connected Right. The the other thing I wanted to mention is this doctor took insurance, which like Whoa. I would love to have. <laughs> yeah, I would love to have an Ayurvedic physician right now. You know what I mean? Like I would love to have both my my um you know my primary care doctor and my Ayurvedic doctor. Um, you know I can see an acupuncturist now with my uh, insurance, which is kind of crazy because last time I went to acupuncture, I could they, I had to pay for it out of pocket every time. Um, but so when the world gets a little safer, I'll definitely try that again for certain things. But um, but yeah. Um, but the thing is, she was actually we only were able to see her for about six months because she was um, like chased out of state because regulations in Massachusetts changed and she wasn't allowed to practice here anymore as a homeopathic doctor. Um, So I think she ended up moving to Ohio, which is kind of crazy, like that it got um, that, like that the uh, environment changed uh, that much. And that Ohio uh, would be a safe place. That's surprising. <laughs> I mean, Ohio's lovely. Like, my mom grew up there, so I've spent time there. It's like a nice state, but I wouldn't expect Ohio to be on the forefront of um, naturopathic doctors. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. That's like, that's exactly what I thought at the time. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, she was there when I really needed it. Uh, and then we found, actually, uh, Ansel's doctor, uh, the one that he uh, had until she retired last year, her, um, <clears throat> she actually dropped her card off with my 
uh, with his pediatrician, with the homeopathic doctor. And she said, like, don't worry, I won't judge you if you're against vaccines. Like, come to me anyways. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, <laughs> at the time, uh, because he was underweight when he was born, um, part of the reason why I sought out a homeopathic doctor was because I was not going to vaccinate until he reached a stable weight. And... Um, yeah. And I just like, you know, you just don't introduce other things into the body until they're stable. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so I, and I went to her, she was like, just so you know, I'm, I recommend you vaccinate, like right away. Like, I know that that was her stance, but she was patient and she worked with me and, uh, in making me feel better about it. Um, and she waited until he was totally stable to start the process. And, um, and I was so thankful for that. I know um, before I did find the homeopathic doctor, he had lost a couple pounds as like, you know, a one or two week old. And they wanted to start vaccinations right away. And that was half the reason why I was like, I, you know, it was just too much for me to handle at the time. Like I was too, I was afraid. I was like shocked from having had a baby. And yeah, you just went through the experience. one of the biggest life changes that will ever happen to you. Your body just went through a traumatic experience. I mean, it went through birth and through a major surgery. Yeah. And then they're like, hey, let's like just get this party started. And you're like, uh, can we wait until he's like, okay? Like, if we can put on a couple pounds, we can talk about this. But um, yeah, he must have been under six months because when he switched, because she was, because we had to wait a bit um, for him to like stabilize completely. So he must have only, I mean, I could have had the homeopathic doctor for like three months. I don't, I'm not sure. It wasn't very long though. Um, I mean, how nice just to have that little break. I mean, we're, we're sort of cheating right now, it feels like, because of the coronavirus. So we, because we were not prepared to give birth in a hospital, we did actually go to like a child care class at the hospital, which was, I'm really thankful for, or was very thankful for when we ended up in the hospital, um, because it talked about things they will do to your infant when, when they're born. And, but we still weren't totally prepared for that. And one of the things they wanted to do was they wanted to give her a hepatitis B vaccine immediately when we are not at risk for hepatitis B at all. And that was one of the things we put our foot down about because giving an infant a vaccine just feels, it doesn't feel right. It it feels like too much for their little system. Like they've just had such a change. And one thing our midwife did do was she recommended a doctor who sort of like what you said was not against, like she's, she's he's pro-vaccine, but he is pro-vaccinating in, he calls it a sane way. So, oh, um, that's so like not giving all of them at one time, because instead of, you know, giving one vaccine and then another, they now they give them in big groups, right? And that's such, they, it overwhelms, his comment is it probably overwhelms the system, which fair enough if you're only a two-month-old baby. But because we haven't gone to the doctor since she was two weeks old, we haven't had any vaccines. <laughs> so when we go back to the doctor, we'll g- <laughs> Yeah. Isn't it interesting, too, how, like, you... If if the if corona wasn't happening, they'd be like, this absolutely has to happen now. And now that it is happening, they're like, oh, well, yeah, we can be, you know, it's okay. Like, we'll do it when things open back up. Um, it's not as like, you know, they, they lead you to believe it's very concrete or like it has to happen at a certain time. 
I know that they recommend that it happens at a certain time, but like they were, you know, when I went. Yeah, um, but I think the, the only reason time. they recommend it is because, um, or at least this is what I we heard from the pediatrician and also um, at the hospital from one of the nurses, is that the compliance rate of parents goes way down after yeah. six months. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to m- get everything in before the kid turns six months old, which feels horrible for the child right so instead of saying we'd really love from a medical perspective we'd love to do this over two years but we don't believe that you're going to bring your child back for visits so we're going to cram it into six months because we think that that's it's most important to have it this reminds me of how like when coronavirus started they were like masks don't protect people (laughs) from coronavirus and they don't protect people from spreading (laughs) coronavirus because they didn't want people to buy the you know like the hospital protective gear that they needed instead of just saying make your own mask don't use this instead of like being upfront with all the information they were like we're just gonna tweak the information so it sounds a certain way so we get the results that we like basically we're like just being manipulated all the time yeah and that Um, it just breeds distrust right if you don't ever trust me i'm just not gonna trust you i don't know what it's like in japan but in denmark everybody really trusts the government because the government doesn't lie to them that frequently like that and it's so much nicer to to exist in a space where you feel like we're all being treated like adults (laughs) like you can handle the information (laughs) right um i don't know in japan uh, i get the sense that people do trust the government in japan for the most part i mean i know that there are people that don't but um for the most part people tend to work together and um and they don't like all feel like they're being lied to all the time or if they do they just don't pay attention to the news because i think a lot of people in japan don't follow politics um or at least i get the sense that that's changing now but in the like in the past, politics haven't been a big part of, you know, everyday people's conversations. Not like they are here in the U.S. where, like, I can't get through, um, I can't get through any family meeting without some kind of political conversation oh um, <laughs> taking place, you know? Like, even, even like, the slightest, like, it, people align their identities so intensely with politics and, you know, current events that, in the U.S., that, um, yeah, it's not like that in Japan. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like that in Denmark either. Sometimes I wonder if it's because, I don't know, we probably don't want to go off on this little tangent, but <laughs> but I will for just one second. <laughs> um, I wonder if it's because because we're it's so binary most of the time in this country, right? We have, you're either on one side or the other side, and then it's easy. Then if you take one side, you almost absorb all of their opinions in some weird way. Like you have to, to be on that team versus someplace like Denmark, they have 10 political parties or 20 or, you know, eight at any given time. And so you might believe very strongly in a climate change measure, but not in something like abortion, um, preventing abortions or something like that. And so you don't have to absorb everything and be so staunchly one or the other. But Mm. who knows? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I uh, I wonder if we should start our reading soon. Yeah, I was thinking. I know you have a work meeting (laughs) today, Um, and um, but before before we do that, I do want to say I just want to reiterate that before um, at the risk of or to prevent um, getting uh, hate mail about um, vaccinations, um, we both did say that we're. 
we vaccinate so <laughs> so so please don't send me hate mail about um being critical of <laughs> yes vaccinations. I, have other, I actually have a whole nother theory on vaccinations that we won't get into right now because i mean i don't think we episode two i don't think we need to go down that but i have um i haven't i have something else that one time we'll discuss <laughs> i i really it's a I'm conspiracy theory down. and i am not a conspiracy theorist <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think as followers of Ayurveda, we have to have some element of conspiracy theory people in us. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think yeah that, that's true. Because, but maybe it's not. You know, because it's not that you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist, but um, you have to be someone who is critical of what you are fed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I think that's the point, right? That you're a thinking person. Yeah. That you you actually you hear something, and instead of just swallowing it, you think. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm writing that vaccination thing down so I bring it up sometime in the future when it comes up again. Yeah, yeah, um, please do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great way. I mean, um, people will love it if they start searching and we see vaccinations, then we're good. <laughs> what topic did we cover today? We covered um, the, s- the states of the digestive tract and vaccinations. <laughs> 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 on that note, um, so we left off on um, Agni Beda, kinds of digestive activity. I made a note that um, I wanted to read that one and um, Costa Beda together uh, because they kind of relate. Yeah, I think, I think that's so, a good idea. So um, I- I'll start. Um, so <clears throat> Agni Beda, kinds of digestive activity. By them, the doshas are produced, the vis... Visha, Visha Magni, the Tikshna Agni, and the Manda Agni, respectively, while Sama Agni is produced by their equilibri- equilibrium. Notes: uh, Agni, literally fire, refers to the fire-like activity in the alimentary canal, responsible for digestion of food. <clears throat> this activity in is influenced by the condition of the doshas. When all the three doshas are in equilibrium, the digestion of food will be perfect in all respects, and that is sama agni, normal digestion. But when the doshas get aggravated, I need to like exercise my mouth, it's too early. (laughs) But when the doshas get aggravated or increased, they bring about their own characteristic changes in the digestive activity also. When vata is aggravated, the digestion becomes irregular, erratic, different from time to time, and accompanied with flatulence, etc. Such a digestive activity is visham agni. When pitta is aggravated, the digestive activity is very intense. Even large quantities of food get digested very quickly, and there is burning sensation, thirst, etc. during digestion. Such a condition is tikshna agni. When kapha is aggravated, the digestive activity is very dull, poor, inadequate. Even small quantities of food get digested after a long time, and there is heaviness of the abdomen, lassitude, etc. during digestion. Such a condition is Munda Agni. All these three types are abnormal and give rise to many diseases of the causative doshas. Now, uh, Kosta Beda, uh, kinds of elementary tract. Kosta, nature of the elementary tract of nature of bowels, is Krura, hard, Mridu, soft, Madhya, moderate, medium, by each of them doshas, respectively. It is Madhya, medium, even when all the doshas are equal. 
the notes. With the predominance or aggravation of vata, the bowel movement is hard. Um, that's hard scabulous feces being eliminated with difficulty and not regularly every day. With the predominance of pitta, the bowel movement is soft, semi-solid, or liquid feces, eliminated more than once a day. Even drinking of milk produces purgations. With the predominance of kapha, bowel is moderate. Feces is neither hard, solid, nor liquid, is eliminated without difficulty once a day regularly. It is so when all the doshas are in equal proportion. This is the ideal condition and does not give rise to any disease while the former two are abnormal and cause ill health. Um, so, um, I couldn't think about how the act, I couldn't help but think about how the act of digestion as both physical and mental uh, about it as physical and mental and emotional while reading this. Our ability to digest begins in the gut, but the digestion that takes place there impacts our ability or lack of to digest the world in which we exist. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, like the description of irregular vata creating erratic digestion is one example of how too much stimulation can lead to an erratic response from the nervous system, like anxiety, um, pitta, intense digestion that runs through you. Information isn't absorbed when you're like too focused on like the end goal, for example. We talked about this a little bit when we're too focused on how we want things to turn out. We aren't paying attention to how they're unfolding. So we're unable to um, take part in that part of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and your comment about, about anxiety was neat. Cause it made me think that if you, <laughs> it's, I mean, we don't talk about our poop much in the U S which we probably should. Cause I mean, it's pretty important, right? This goes back to our comment before that the digestive tract is the root of all health. Um, and yeah. when you feel different emotions, I mean, if, if, when I think about when I feel different things like nervous or anxious or things like that, how my digestion is affected. So your whole, like the comment that this is about digestion of life in general is true because if, you know, if I feel really nervous, what does that do to my general digestive tract, my elementary canal? Yeah. You how like stop it? pooping. Exactly. <laughs> like, right? right. Or yeah, you like exactly. have to run to the bathroom and then the next day you have constipation you know <laughs> yeah or like for instance um traveling so i mean i've traveled quite a lot in my life and i think about like every time i take anytime i have a big travel day i like don't poop for two days afterwards usually or didn't now i can kind of i know it's coming and i can um introduce plan for it yeah i can plan for it and i know how to kind of <laughs> how to balance myself more but before i would just be like i don't understand i never poop when i travel <laughs> but <laughs> But you read this you and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what's interesting too? Planning for it is almost like another way of just saying that I get my body and my mind to cooperate. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's like saying I plan for it by preparing my mind and my emotions for it. And that helps my digestion to recognize that it's going to happen or that it is happening instead of like, because, like, our minds know that we're going on this big trip, but our bodies don't realize it until we're in the air. Right, exactly. Until you're know, speeding at how many, really... how many miles per hour, like, covering insane distances that we were not supposed to cover as human beings. Right? 
I never really thought about it this way before, like that it's a shock to the system. Yeah. No, I hadn't either. And um, as you were saying that, I was like, that makes such sense. The whole just having the conversation with your body, right? That preparation. Your body's not like, oh my gosh, <laughs> why are we moving so much? <laughs> right? And when we, and by like meditating, you know, it's really the daily routine that um, prepares your body for as long as you're able, the, the daily routine uh, is what keeps your body um, at the base level um, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It keeps it consistent because like, even when after you go through such shock, if you're able to continue your routine, so you wake up and you do your, you know, you do your sadhana and your, you do your, you know, your tongue scraping or whatever your practice may be, um, then your body can go, oh, I'm still safe. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and it gives it, it grounds your body in so many ways, right? So for instance, if you're traveling, like I know you went to Europe before this whole thing happened. If you land yeah. in, and the time zones are all messed up and you've traveled and you've done all these things, your body doesn't know what's going on, right? And you're in a different climate usually. Um, you're in a new location. The water's all different, things like that. If you, Yeah, if you give your body some, um, like a, point, a time point, like, okay, now we're in the morning. We're tongue scraping. We're doing something, whatever that is, um, abbreviated version of your daily routine. It, yeah. It makes sense, right? It gives you, it gives your body a, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's like a, like a signpost or something it, of where you are. Yeah, a sign, signpost might be the right word. Yeah. Like it, it, yes. It's like, it just like, it aligns it with the time, you yeah. know, like, like, uh, you know, beyond like, you know, sun exposure and whatnot. These are like other things that help to inform your physical being um as to where you should be and what you should be doing and um and also just to like make you feel safe um like i don't know i don't want to go too far into it but kids require a lot of routine yeah. <laughs> you know they're like they're growing and they need that stability to feel safe um and uh, we do too yeah but yeah that's what i was just thinking as you said that i was like <laughs> we know that kids need it um and then as adults we kind of trick ourselves into thinking we don't need it but we still do like our bodies still need that <laughs> to feel to feel safe to feel able to have a bowel movement every day that's regular um to to digest our food to yeah to operate in any sort of way yeah um it's interesting uh i was thinking too because like i talked about like how you know it, how we did how pitta the uh, pitta digestion of um and vata digestion of uh emotions or um or uh, digestion in the mind works and kapha it's interesting that kapha in the body uh is like almost like kapha digestion not too much kapha, but like regular digestion that happens without issue. So the body holds it for the right amount of time and lets it go at the right amount of time. It's interesting if you think about it in terms of the mind or in terms of emotions, um, because if you hold on to too many emotions, you get stuck. But if you hold on to the right amount and you know when to let them go, like if you can do that, it's almost like the, the perfect way to learn. Yeah, you know, like you don't want to retain everything in the book because you're not going to like have enough room to take in more. Right. Um, 
So it's like proper digestion of the mind would be a would be healthy kapha. <laughs> yeah, you need um, you need the pitta to kind of discern it, right? You need the right amount of all of them, but not yes. too much of any of them is just creates imbalance. <laughs> Ayurveda, Claudia Welch always says the Ayurveda moments <laughs> when you have them and you're like this is this great <laughs> this great insight and you're like oh no duh <laughs> like obviously <laughs> um, alright shall we move on to Deha Prakriti sure yeah. oh I was gonna say I would do it but maybe you can read that one and I'll see what's happening okay <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Deha Prakriti, body constitution. By them, the doshas, which are present in the shukra, male seed, and artava, female seed, at the time of commencement of life, there arises three kinds of prakriti, human constitution. Just like poisonous worms arise from the poison, they, they constitutions, are hina, poor or weak, the madhya, medium, moderate, and the utama best or strong from each of the doshas respectively that constitution arising from equal proportion of all of them the doshas is the samadatu prakriti which is ideal those arising from combination of two do doshas are nindya denounced all right the notes do i have to read the whole page of notes and eh, maybe we'll see notes <clears throat> the male seed is the shukranyu spermatazun and the female seed is the andaner, the ovum. Both these unite together, fertilization, and form the embryo, and that is the commencement of life. The male and female seeds produced in the body of the man and the woman contain the tridoshas. At the time of the union of the two seeds, the doshas undergo change in their proportion. Either all of them might remain in equal proportion, or any two together might become predominant, or any one dosha only might become predominant. <clears throat> These conditions greatly influence the nature of the embryo and its characteristic features, which becomes known as prakriti of man, natural human constitution. Thus, seven kinds of prakritis get formed. Three ekadosha from any one dosha separately, three dvanjvaja or samsargaja from the combination of any two doshas <clears throat> and one from samish, samishra or sanipata from the combination of all the three together in equal proportion. Among them, ekadosha, ekadosaja, Ekadoshaja, that's right. <laughs> Arhina, poor. Samsargaja, Dvanjvaja, Armadya, moderate. And Samishra is Uttama, best or ideal. Further, even among the Ekadosha, Dosa, Ekadoshaja, <laughs> the first You're doing one, great Bhattaja. with that word. <laughs> <laughs> It's really, it's really challenging. Ekadoshaja. <laughs> Ekadosha. It's like ekadosha. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> you put it all together and you're like, ah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> is hina, poor. The second pitaja is madhya, moderate. And the third kafaja is utama, best. Oh my God. The characteristic feature of these three prakritis constitutions has been described in chapter three of Sarira Stana, 
The example of poisonous worms is to indicate that though they are born from poison, they do not die of it, but continue to survive. Similarly, yeah, similarly, I have trouble with English too. The prakriti, though formed from the doshas, which are similar to poison, continue to manifest in the person as long as he lives. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Sorry, I didn't mean to dump that one on you. <laughs> that wasn't intentional. <laughs> It's all right. It was fun. That was a fun one. <laughs> um, I had a lot of notes on that, but my page turned when Ansel walked in. Let's see. We're on page eight. Page eight. Yeah, page seven. Eight. Okay, there we go. So, um, I was thinking about... Um, the topic of the poisonous worms. That's the one that I wrote <laughs> down too, actually. The first thing I wrote, uh, yeah. Also, and how the constitution is determined at conception and that the uh, pregnancy itself doesn't, might inform vicrity, but not prakriti, and how that's interesting. And... Um, and what else? Oh, and how the um, the uh, combinations of the doshas, like which ones equal like a poorer health or weaker, you know, weaker health and stronger health um, are interesting too. I think that um, I tend to, I, I am very confused by tridoshic people. And um, I know that if you're tridoshic, um, you're supposed to have um like the strongest health but <clears throat> i'm confused as to the best way to balance <laughs> tridoshic the tridoshic people who have imbalances um i get my mind gets a little boggled with that um in what way because well You're I guess because like, you're still balancing back to like three versus two or something. Yeah, I think so. It's like not, you know, it's not really that confusing overall. It's just that like, I'm like pretty close to Tridoshic. I think that my like, I'm like equal, completely equal Pitakafa. And then I'm just slightly lower in Vata. Um, and I think you have like a similar makeup too. You're like, yeah, I do. Tridoshic yep. too. Um, and yours were like, but you're you're predominantly Mine, vata, I'm pitta, pitta? vata Yeah, vata pitta, yeah. and then I have a little bit less of kapha. But not, it's not in the same like a lot of people who, you know, you have like very high one or very high two and very low of the other one. Mine are almost like yours that it's almost all equal. I I guess the best way to that I've found with my own body is to um, reduce whatever I have excess of at the time. So if um, I tend to lean towards higher kapha and higher pitta, um, or you know uh, imbalances in kapha and in pitta because those are my primary doshas, and um, and so I just like reduce what I'm taking in as far as you know like I just don't eat heavy foods when I have too much kapha. Um, or I exercise more. Um, but it does sometimes throw, while balancing um, kapha, if I, like, eat too much, like, spicy stuff, it will, like, throw my pitta out of whack, too. Yeah, um, me too. I can get... My pit. I think 
It's interesting because I can notice now that it's easier to get some of them out of whack than other ones. So, like, my Pitta can pretty easily get out of whack um, with a lot of sour foods or spicy foods. I lived in um, Texas for a while, and I was, it was out of, I didn't really know about Ayurveda then, but it was out of control. Looking back, I can see that was one of my main problems. I also had a lot of, like, acne then and overheating and things mm. like that. Um, so yeah. there are all these side things that now that I know about it, um, I could have balanced my way into into health. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't know. And, you know, you go to a Western doctor and they're like, uh, you should take antibiotics to get rid of the acne. And you're like, uh, I don't think I really want to take antibiotics every day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting, like, because when you start studying Ayurveda, you know, it's you, you really you get the simplified version of it. Um, and it's like it's insanely complex. Yeah. Um, and the first thing that you get is like, at least for in my experience, and I'm sure you have a similar one, was that everyone has a vata imbalance. Yeah. And so <laughs> when I started studying Ayurveda, I immediately started like treating myself as if I had a vata, you know, imbalance, you know, oh, this is vata pushing kapha. This is vata pushing pitta. I just need to treat the vata and my pitta and my kapha will go down. And like, I actually gained a lot of weight when I started practicing Ayurveda <laughs> because of this. Like I gained like 10 pounds in the year that I was practicing. And it took me like a whole year to realize that like, I shouldn't be treating a vata imbalance. I should be treating a constitution. Yeah. You know, like yeah, I, I should be eating for my body and not for an imbalance. And in some ways, like now that I said that out loud, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like how we should approach life, too. We should be like living. <laughs> we should be like, you know, our approach to experience should be like in the moment and not out of fear or anticipation for what we want or the results that um, we would like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's so well said. <laughs> It's so easy to, like, the fear thing of, like, oh, if this is going to happen, so I have to treat that versus, um, and some people do have really big imbalances that you need to treat, but a lot of us, you just need to treat your constitution, right? You just need to eat for that. Or if you do have imbalances, if you, if you act accordingly for your constitution, I think, and I don't know, maybe you can have something to say about this too, that you will naturally go back to balance anyway. So for instance, yes. if you know, you, if I did have a big kapha imbalance, if I just ate for my body over time, it might not happen quickly, but over time, I feel like I would just go back into where I needed to be. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's really, um, it, it's been an interesting learning curve for me. And I, uh, if there are Ayurvedic practitioners or students out there listening, um, Keep this in mind when you're told to treat vata or that, you know, the world has too much vata in it. It definitely does. But that's not always where the source of your digestive issues are from. Like, really look at your constitution. Um, this is why, the other reason why I have trouble understanding sometimes how to balance tradoshic people. Um, but now that I've talked about this, I guess I have the answer. Like, you know, like, because I say, like, sometimes when my kapha is too much, if I, like, use pitta to balance it, it can really um, throw my system off. I'll have, like, too much pitta. But the answer is that maybe I have to use a little more vata 
to balance it, you know, yeah. or I just have to eat a little lighter or eat more uh, tradoshic, <laughs> you know, and um, that's true for people who have equal doshas on all sides, I'm sure. Yeah, and um, uh, the whole like remain calm, don't make don't make big changes, right? <laughs> just little little um, adjustments can be can be more helpful in the long run. I know that I I tend to like want to do something big. I think in our culture we're trained that from society that you have to make some drastic alteration if you want change or you have to start taking a pill or do something like totally different but a lot of times it's not um it's just little changes and i think i mean ayurveda can be so deceptively simple but there's as you said a few minutes ago there's complexity in that simpleness or um we maybe we over we do things to make it complicated in ways that it doesn't need to be complicated but then don't see the depth where there's depth yeah um it's interesting yeah we're like it's a it's a science that covers everything in the universe (laughs) like it's (laughs) yes it's a and um and so and it borrows from all of the its neighboring sciences like it's pulled from the vedas which cover everything really if you like look at them (laughs) and um and so i don't know it's important to like it's important to have a, a decent amount of focus on one area of it, but also not to discount the things that are outside of your range of vision because they all have impact on us. Yeah. Um, I mean, recently you m- made the comment about how our birth charts really affect us. So we can sit there and we can adjust all the things we want to in our diet. But I, that doesn't I, mean yeah. that like it's going to... it's going to change for you right I mean you might just be (laughs) your stars might say something else (laughs) right um I know there's an entire field of um Vedic astrology uh that focuses on Vedic medical astrology and um I started like looking into this you need to have a certain um a part of your chart has to like basically give you permission to study Jyotish, um, Vedic astrology. And, uh, so I already am like, I don't know. My chart pretty much says that I'm not very good at sticking to one thing. Like I dabble in everything, which is, which is very true. I don't finish what I start. Um, (laughs) so here I am studying Ayurveda after studying Japan for a really long time. And now I'm like, I should study Jyotish too. And then I should tie my Japan studies and my Ayurveda studies to my Jyotish studies. Um, that's kind of what I do. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like a, like I network, uh, concepts. (laughs) Um, but there's, there's power in that too, right? Like not everyone needs to go into depth. I mean, they're being able to connect different things is really cool. The conversations yeah. we've had about um, how Ayurveda is, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week, that um, it's based in India, but really different cultures have the same concepts, and it is a cultural thing in so many ways. So that cultural studies, that perspective of looking at um, connecting is really cool, too. There's something there. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. It's folk medicine, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to get back to the part where we talked about uh, poison as antidote um, or the, you know, the poisonous worms. Um, it thought to me, uh, it like I was like, oh, this like this makes absolute sense because the doshas 
are both the um, the cure and the problem. Yes. Isn't that so neat? <laughs> um, yeah. Like the same and thing how- that can, can hurt you can heal you. Right? And it's one example of how something seen as a poison can be a remedy, and a remedy can be a poison when used correctly or incorrectly. And in really traditional, like, backwoods Ayurveda, they use, like, mercury sometimes. Like, right. Sometimes yeah, exactly. Mercury, Heavy metals. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, these are the antidotes sometimes. And I don't know, it kind of makes me think about how, like, I, I dye my hair. Um <laughs> I tried to stop dyeing my hair during quarantine. I was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to like let the grays grow out. Um, but I uh, decided that I just am not ready to do that yet. So uh, <laughs> so I dyed my hair. And when you're dyeing your hair, when you get hair dye on your face, and I didn't mean, have someone else do it, just so you know, all you hair salon people who get mad at people for home dyeing, I'm pretty good at home dyeing. Uh, <laughs> I've learned. Um, but... Uh, when you get hair dye on your face, the antidote, how you, you don't get it off with soap. You get it off by rubbing hair dye into your skin. Like, if you take oh, more hair dye and you rub it and you massage it, it goes away. If you put soap on it, it usually sets it. Um, oh, wow. So that, that's kind of like a, an interesting way to look at, like, how heavy metals might be used in certain situations. Yeah. Um, or how these, like, you know, poisonous meta- medicines might be used. Um, sometimes they're, they're the solution to related problems or, um, or the way that we use vaccines, really. Yeah, exactly, right? You're giving yourself a small dose of something that can be deadly to kind of get your body amped up in case it does uh, encounter it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the doshas work in similar ways and um it's uh it's a pretty pretty cool the other thing about the poison that um i was thinking about was you know they say that there are constitutions that are weak one thing and i think it was claudia welch talks about this that if you have a strong constitution it can almost be a little bit of a curse because you can take more like your body can take things to the point and by the time you realize there's a problem it can be like a breaking point problem versus if somebody has a weaker constitution they can't uh they can't handle much abuse before they know that there's a problem so they understand for instance if somebody does have a um a weaker constitution they understand that like too much vata can be a problem from an early point versus somebody who maybe has a stronger one will go and go and go and then they're broken and that's yeah. kind of neat too. <clears throat> so they won't be able to recognize problems as they're happening. They'll recognize them when they get to be too far along. Exactly. Or like really far along, right? So then they're a big problem versus just a little problem. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I remember her saying something like that. And like, I, I guess like some of the, I guess some of the um, the reason why we ha- do like sadhana is like so that way we get in touch with our bodies so that no wonder no matter the constitution um, or no matter our ability to push through that we have that um, we can like tell what's going on we take a moment to check in with ourselves so that way we can move forward yeah the inner vision right that you can even no matter what your constitution is 
you can start to feel those small changes. You can start to feel that your body reacts in a certain way if you, um, when you're traveling, right? And that you can actually yeah. start to work with that instead of working against it. Um, I know certainly for me, my ability to, <laughs> to be in touch with my body changed a lot after starting certain practices. Yeah. I think I'm like, you know, it's, it's a, you know, we started this podcast talking about childbirth and the childbirth experience. And I feel like it's so weird to think about now um, that I have developed um, a more intimate relationship with my body. Um, because at the time, I think I was just really afraid of my body. And I totally locked down on like while giving birth, you know, yeah. I didn't want to. I was afraid of the experience and <clears throat> my body reacted like as if that was completely the case. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's been really interesting learning about all of this and reflecting on that experience and on other like, you know, past um, physical issues or uh, experiences that I've had. Um, you know, like at the time I didn't recognize it as a fear or as a, um, or as not being in touch. Um, but now I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's exactly what that was, you know? It's, we're, it, I, th I think so many women are afraid of their bodies or maybe not in touch with them. Um, but I don't know if that's societal. I don't know if it's um, the male dominated world we live in. I don't know what it is to be so removed from our bodies but it's it's such a shame i mean i felt it too i felt more connected than i would have before but still not as connected as i could have i mean i still had i you know i didn't know that i had them but i still had doubts about my body's ability to do something like give birth until it was happening really um, and that also maybe because i had a really really long labor too so it felt like it just wasn't going to happen and it wasn't going to happen when my body wasn't going to be able to do it um mm. I think I it's all of the above. Yeah. You know what else I think it is? I think that in the medical and Western medicine, the um, problems that women have or their feelings or their uh, symptoms are often dismissed. Yeah. Um, I've just been told by so many doctors that what I'm feeling is not real. And, um, and, and I have like very minor complaints, you know, uh, or they, they've been just uh, summed up as like, oh, that, that sounds like fibromyalgia. That's it. When, you know, it's very clearly not fibromyalgia <laughs> or, you know, like this kind of dismissive, oh, women complain, um, <laughs> like your problems are not that bad. You shouldn't feel like they're that bad. And then you leave and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm fine. Um, but you still have the same symptoms. And I just, as seeing clients, uh, I see this again and again. I see, you know, in, like incorrect diagnoses, uh, diagnoses that are, um, that are then, you know, retracted and changed to something else and medications that are, um, people are put on unnecessarily and, uh, or they're just overall dismissed. Um, you know, like I've seen a doctor so-and-so, you know, so many times for a problem that, um, they say I don't have that I'm still experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you're told over and over again that you're wrong or that it, you can't be right about your own body, then you start, you can't trust it. <laughs> you feel like you can't, you have this than an adversarial relationship with this your body mind connection 
and which creates a whole host of problems too right it really takes your power away definitely takes your power away um but the whole i mean the whole system is set up for that right you have to (laughs) take your power away I'm the powerful one. I have the white coat. You don't know anything. <laughs> right? Um, there's some wonderful doctors out there. That's, I mean, there's some really <laughs> lovely ones. But, the, I mean, the system that they operate in is, and the school they go to creates an environment that doesn't actually lend itself to giving power to the patient at all. I think that this is the problem with too narrow of a scope in every area yeah. of life. Yeah. Because when you narrow your scope too much, you focus too intently and then you don't see the big picture or you don't see the person sitting before you. Um, Here we are going back to the, um, you know, this ideal doctor that they mentioned in the first paragraph. Um, And and time too, right? I mean, right now it's maybe somebody is actually an ideal, they could be an ideal doctor. But if you're only given 15 minutes to see somebody that you haven't met before and diagnose their problems like and tell them how to treat them how i mean that's never going to be successful yes yeah right you're not going to see the big picture at all um right yeah um I, did you read uh, i haven't read it uh claudia welch's book i can't think of the name of it but it's about um you know the qualities that good physicians should have i have um but i'm currently rereading it because i was kind of like i i read it too quickly it's one of those books that you need to read a little bit and then talk about it um but it's yeah. a really beautiful one we should i mean it would be neat to maybe incorporate that into um, our discussions too right um I mean, we can always uh, do book one of Ashtanga Hridayam and then we can switch to another book um, and talk about that for a bit and then move on to book two, you know, yeah, like we course. don't have to, um, which is exciting um, because it, it will be really interesting to actually reading this now is so interesting <laughs> coming from like where we come from and what we've studied in the last, um, you know, like what we've been studying and how our paths have um, we've like gone in different directions as far as like where we went to school and stuff and then the perspectives that you bring back to this book reading it now as like someone who has finished um a level of study of some kind um i don't know if that matters but a course of study for you know over a year now or two years at this point um revisiting this book has been really interesting like the um perspective i have now versus when i originally read it yeah, we said that, I think, bef- when we weren't recording one day about how yeah. it's, it's almost like textbooks, if it's a good book, um, they're almost wasted when you're studying. You need to reread them later to actually understand them. Right? Definitely. Um, shall we? You have to go soon. Yeah, I, I do. Because I, um, I have another appointment today. Um, should we stop here so that way you can have a break before your next meeting and we'll pick up next week yeah i think that sounds good and um yeah the next ones we talk about qualities which are kind of cool i mean that's almost a whole thing in and of itself right like what does it mean to be cold so i i don't want to i would feel um unfortunate to rush through those yeah and also they all link together it's almost like we're, we're just switching gears so that's perfect and um Maybe next week, um, 
I'm going away at some point. Uh, I think I'm going away Friday. So um, I was going to say we can even, because we got, um, this was like kind of a shorter one. We can do this twice a week too sometimes. And yeah, like of course. And shorter yeah. session. So um, we'll see what happens. We'll, uh, we'll play it by ear. But, that sounds um, great. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me and, too. And thanks for listening um, if anybody's I, listening. <laughs> I wanted to tell our listeners that we are on iTunes now. Um, so subscribe and like us so other people if you like us you could like us it's up to you um, but um, so that other people can find us when they search for us I think we're under alternative health too which is really funny oh cool because like we're kind of talking about health but we're also talking about a lot of other things I was like I was, it's Im- it's impossible to like really categorize things like Ayurveda yeah sometimes definitely life um <laughs> And I'm also going to add our websites to the description so that people can find us if they want to get in touch with us. Um, We both um, have different things that we do for clients. So you can find out all that information on our websites. And then if you have a question or there's something that you would like our perspective on or comment, you can contact us um, through our contact information, which would be on our websites. Um, But mine is uh, daniellemariearchard.com. And mine is ceciliabomb.com. Um, so thanks for listening. Um, next time we'll pick up at um, Tridosha Lakshana. 